0: Genesis 23 and page 23, and it's called The Death of Sarah. Sarah lived to be 127 years old. She died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. Then Abraham rose from beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites. He said, I'm a foreigner and a stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site here so that I can buy, bury my dead. The Hittites replied to Abraham, Sir, listen to us. You are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will refuse you his tomb for burying your dead. Then Abraham rose and bowed down before the people of the land the Hittites he said to them if you are willing to let me bury my dead then listen to me and intercede with Ephron son of Zoh on my behalf so that he will sell me the cave at Macpeth, which belongs to him and it is at the end of his field ask him to sell it to me for the full price as a burial site among you Ephron the Hittite was sitting among his people and he replied to Abraham in the hearing of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of the city. No, my lord, he said, listen to me, I gave you the field and I gave you the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of my people. Bury your dead. Again, Abraham bowed down before the people of the land and he said to Ephron in their hearing, Listen to me, if you will. I will pay the price of the field. Accept it from me so that I can bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, Listen to me, my lord. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. But what is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham agreed to Ephron's terms and waited out for him the price he had named in the hearing of the Hittites. 400 shekels of silver, according to the weight current among the merchants. So Ephron's field in Peleth near Mamre, both the field and the cave in it, and all of the trees within the borders of the field was legally made over to Abraham as his property in the presence of all the Hittites who had come to the gates of the city. Afterwards, Abraham buried his wife Sarah in the cave in the field of Mashpelah near Mamre, which is at Hebron in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave in it were legally made over to Abraham by the Hittites as a burial site. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Val. Uh, Well done some tricky names in there as uh, as well this is the last time we're looking at Genesis for a little while Uh, we've got to chapter 23 I think we started Genesis 1 back in was it February wasn't it so we've nearly been a year we've had some breaks three reasons I can think of why we're stopping here chapter 23 we're not going to go into chapter 24 we come back after the week's churches together's break whatever you want to call it and uh, we start 1 Corinthians so some shorter readings one or two names in there, but only in the first chapter. And, uh, and uh, three reasons we're going to do that. Uh, first reason is because you can see the next thing that happens in chapter 24, we, the, the main character switches from Abraham to Isaac. So I kind of thought we it's to a natural break. So not everyone agrees with me. Most people don't. So I'm probably wrong. But there we go. Uh, we, we're switching from Abraham to Isaac. Abraham's still there, but uh, Isaac. So that's one reason. Second reason is um, because we've been doing it for a while, I think. And the third reason is, if you turn over the page, the chapters get massive. Uh, you know, it's pretty much one page per chapter, and it goes to like three pages per chapter. And so I kind of thought, we, can, we, we, need to, we need to, yeah, we'll have a pause. Is that okay? But before we look at this chapter, let me pray. Father God, as we look at this uh, passage, help us to see your promises as being true, and faithful, that you are the God who is great. You're not even mentioned in this passage, but you're very much in the mind of Abraham. So please help us to have you in our mind as you did for him. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm sure you know that feeling. You, you go away for a while, and then you just look forward to being home again. Maybe it was a day trip. You, you took a whole day out. Maybe one of, one of Alan's walks. And you just thought, I just want to go home. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> this is taking a lot longer. This is longer than I signed up for. Or it might just be a nice trip down the coast, and you kind of think, oh, it's been a great day, but I'm just, I just want to get back home now, and I'm looking forward to being back in my bed. It's been fantastic, but now it's time to be home. Maybe it was a longer time away, going away from a holiday, a week or two. A two's pretty good, isn't it? Or maybe even longer. And you just kind of think, it's been fantastic. It's been great to maybe see people that I know who live out there somewhere. Or uh, to go to parts of the world and see beautiful scenery or just enjoy some heat and some reliable sunshine. But it is time to be back home in my own bed with my own clothes and my own kitchen where I can do pretty much what I want. And the food is there. I don't have to go by the clock of the hotel or whatever. And you just want to be home. And if we have to leave... That home, for any reason, forced to leave, as some are forced to leave, it might be floods. That, that's been happening more and more, hasn't it? Or think of people in Australia. Some people have died, but most people have had to leave, haven't they? The fire's there. Or war, and there's parts of the world where that, well, it's affected all parts of the world, but some particular parts you can think of. People have had to move, leave their home, and the reasons that are out of our control, that's unsettling, isn't it? Well, you have to leave that home. Dorothy put it well, didn't she, in The Wizard of Oz? There's no place like home. For Christian believers who love Jesus, who are thankful for Jesus for his saving death on the cross and his rising again to give us eternal life, there is, as uh, for anyone, no place like home. But that home isn't here, is it? On earth. That home is with Jesus in the home that he prepares for us. Remember John 14, often read at funerals. uh, I'm not taking Stan's funeral. David Osmond's taking it. But I don't know if he's having John 14 at his funeral. Jesus says to his close friends in verse 2, My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And the question for us is this. Is where Jesus says our home is, is that where it is for us? Is that where we're saying home is, where Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us? And if that is true, what is the evidence of that? Well, Genesis 23 answers that issue for us. We've been following the story of Abraham and Sarah for a while now, and this couple were given incredible promises from God, weren't they? The promise of blessing. A family that would grow to be a huge nation, which seemed unlikely at the time because they couldn't have children of their own. And then also a land, which seems really unlikely because they're vastly outnumbered by people who already live there. And just in chapter 21, the first of those two promises starts to come true. Isaac is born and brings Abraham and Sarah great joy. Well, of course, He would. And in chapter 22, Abraham knows just how this faith in God's promises has grown for himself. He's told to offer this child back to God, even though God had promised Isaac would be the one through who the promises kept. There's a conflict of, there's a faith issue there, isn't there? God has promised it would be through Isaac. And yet God has asked him to offer Isaac. Well, that's great faith, isn't it? When he obeys. And, of course, Isaac survives. He's given a substitute in his place. That was last week. So Abraham has come to know God keeps his promises, unlikely as they seem. Look, this miracle child whose life was preserved even up there on that mountain. And with the second promise of land, we see here just how sure Abraham is of all the promises God offered. Back up to the last few chapters, uh, sorry, the last few verses, sorry, of chapter 22. Can you see them? Page 23, the last few verses. There we see Abraham learning that his brother Nahor well, let me read it, verse 20. Sometime later, Abraham was told, Milcah is also a mother. She is born sons to your brother Nahor. Uz, the firstborn, Buz, his brother, i mean the rhyme, don't they? Kemuel, Kesed, Hazo, there's quite a lot of children in there. Bethuel is the last of that list. And so it goes on. So Abraham learns that his brother Nahor has got a family. Nahor lives back in Abraham's homelands. And Abraham left Nahor to go to this place where God had led him and promised him. Nahor and his growing family are back home. Perhaps you can imagine the pull on Abraham there. Fantastic news. You're an uncle to all these children. Now think about it, if it was you. Because remember, family was important back in that culture. Family was where it was at. Family came above the law, as it does in many parts of the world today. You put your family ahead of... The law. And remember that family honor was everything. Well, coupled with that, in verses one and two of our reading, the love of Abraham's wife, Sarah, dies. 127 years old, doesn't that make you feel young? Young people, some of you are just middle aged, if you base it on that, 127 years old. But the tragedy is she dies. And Abraham would be devastated, of course. He's crying. They've been through so much highs. Lows, highs, great jobs. And you'd have bet your house on Abraham deciding to go home. He's got a massive family back there, and Sarah's died. It is, the, the journey's over. Time to head back. Back to Ur, where they came from. That's where her family would have been. Let's, let's take her back home to her family. Let's bury her there. Join the rest of the family with Nahor and all the others. After all, most people want to go home to be laid to rest, don't they? Do you find that? This week we had the escalating tensions with Iran in the news. A general was killed. Iran struck with missiles. A plane was caught up in that, sadly. And and you can imagine the people who've lost loved ones, they want people to be brought home. That's quite hard in a plane crash. You sometimes see it, don't you, in movies with the American forces. They're on foreign soil. Some American soldiers have died. The task is to bring them home. We'll get them stateside. We'll give them a nice burial in a nice green place with an American flag and and all the rest of it. We won't just leave them in the desert. Well, perhaps Abraham's going to do that. I'm going to take Sarah home. That's not what he does, does it, in this passage. Most of this passage is a trade negotiation, isn't it? That's what most of it is. I mean, most of the news for the next year and a bit will be trade negotiations for us. Here we've got a trade negotiation. Fortunately, it is quite quick. But it is most of the passage. Let's look at it from verse 3. Abraham rose from beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites. These are the people who lived there. They've lived there for donkey's years. Abraham's only been there for a while. He makes that point himself, verse 4. He says, I am a foreigner and stranger among you. So I'm going to go home. That's how I would complete that verse. I'm going to go home. I'm a stranger, a foreigner. I don't belong here. This is not really my home. I'm going to head back. But he doesn't say that. What does he say? He says, sell me some property for a burial site here so that I can bury my dead." Now, I said this in the, I think it is in the prayer. God is not mentioned once in this passage, but he's big in the mind of Abraham. God has promised him this land. This is where his family belong. God has said so. God isn't mentioned But he's right front and center in Abraham's thinking, as we see. It is a trade negotiation about land and bearer rights. Why? Why, at a time when papyrus and ink was precious, would you spend so much on this detail of this negotiation? Why? Because this matters. This shows Abraham's faith is there in God's promise. Over and over, the Hittites and Ephron, one of them, who owns this land, seem a little bit unwilling to sell the land to Abraham. Verse 5, the Hittites reply to Abraham, Sir, listen to us. You are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will refuse you his tomb for burying your dead. You see what they're offering Abraham in those verses, in those words? They're saying, look, there's no need to buy some lands. You can borrow one of ours, even the best of us. After all, we know you're a special person. We've seen Your God do some amazing things through you. We respect you. You're a visitor among us. It's the least we can do is to give you access to one of our plots in our tombs. But that is not what Abraham is after. He knows this land is God's to give him. And he is not going to settle for borrowing what God has promised to give. Verse 7. Then Abraham rose. He bowed down before the people of the land, the Hittites. He said to them, if you are willing to let me bury my dead, then listen to me. And intercede, speak with Ephron, son of Zohar, on my behalf, so that he will sell me the, la- the cave sorry, of Machpelah, which belongs to him, the end of his field. Ask him to sell it to me for the full price. I don't want to borrow it. I want to pay the full price as a burial site among you. And Abraham says, I've got to pay. I've got to pay in full. Verse 10, Ephron the Hittite was sitting among his people. He reply to Abraham, in the hearing of all the Hittites, he'd come to the gates of his city. No. My Lord, he said, listen to me. I give you the fields. I give you the cave that's in it. I give it to you. In the presence of my people, bury your dead. You, you hear that again? I, I give it. Give it for free. Now, I'm a Yorkshireman. And that is music to my ears. You can have it for free. And if it was me, if I was Abraham, that would be the end of Genesis 23. I'd say, thank you very much. I'll bury Sarah in there, and that's it. But God's word does not stop there. God's word goes on. What does God's word say? Verse 12, again Abraham bowed down before the people of the land. He said to Ephron in their hearing, Listen to me, if you will. I will pay the full price for the field. Accept it from me. I can bury my dead there. Ephron answers, Abraham, listen to me, my lord. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. But what is that between me and you? Bury your dead. I don't know if you've uh, had to exchange money for shekels recently. I'm not sure anyone offers you a price on that. Apparently, well, we know later on in the Bible, by the time you get to King David, David paid 50 shekels for the site of the temple. 50 shekels for the temple sites. And Ephron says it's it's worth 400, but I'll let you have it for free. But Abraham says, no, I'm going to pay, verse 16. Abraham agreed to the terms. Not that they're termed, it's just the price. And weighed out for him the price names in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weight current among the merchants. So verse 17, the field is given over, all the borders, the trees in Mamre were legally made over. By the way, this is where Sarah loved to be in the tents. That is where God met them, under the oaks of Mamre, giving that promise of a son. Special place for them, place of promise. And afterwards, What do we see? Abraham buries, verse 19, his wife Sarah in that cave in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave in it were legally made over to Abraham by the Hittites as a burial site. That is the point of this chapter, isn't it, in that last verse. We get there at last. People see this trade in the city. They're there at the gate. That's the place where deals were done. Everyone knows now Abraham owns this. He's paid the full price. There's no doubt nobody would come back in 200 years' time say, hang on a minute, that's not Abraham's land. He didn't pay a penny for it. It's still Ephron's, the Hittites. No, everyone knows it's written down in people's memories, and if they wrote it down, it's probably somewhere in the library, if they had such a place, which they didn't. But it would have been Abraham and his family own that field. Why is that important? Because Abraham knew God's promise. He wanted to make sure this was his. He wanted to bury Sarah, not where he came from, but here in the place God had promised. And he later would be buried there too, because God said this land was his forever. This is where your family belong. Not where you came from, but where I brought you to. And this, for Abraham, is a statement of faith, isn't it? Of investment. He is putting all he had where his faith was. Not his money where his mouth was. His money was where his faith was. Quickly, two things to notice about what this means for Abraham. Two lessons for us. First, Abraham models humility. Did you see that? The almighty creator of all says this land will be his But at no point does he take that promise and strut around as if he owns the place. Could have said to Ephron, yeah, I'll just take it, of course. God has promised it. I I don't need to pay. It's mine by the right of the Lord who says so. But he doesn't say that. Verse 4, he lowers himself in his humility. He says, what does he say? I'm a foreigner. I'm a stranger. I have little rights amongst you guys. Again in verse 7 and again in verse 12, what does he do? Do you notice what he does? He does it twice before these pagan unbelievers who don't know God. What does he do? He bows down. He honors them. He respects them. He's not worshiping them, but he's being humble before them. He knows. He is no better than them. Yes, God has spoken to him, but that is God's grace. God made him rich. God helped him. God forgave him was far from perfect he knows it was purely by God's undeserved grace and favor he's lived this long and finally his promised son Isaac has come isn't it easy isn't it sometimes do you find this to get puffed up when something great comes along isn't it fantastic that God loves us that Jesus died for us and we can start to think well of course we're entitled we deserve that somehow we came along to things like life explored and we we did alpha and We've done all this sort of stuff. In fact, we've done a lot of things in church. We've been on the PCC. How committed am I? And we start to feel entitled instead of humble. Maybe we get puffed up when good things come along, maybe in your working life or financially or some other good news, and we somehow think we're more worthy than other people who don't. We can slip into that. Or maybe we think because we enjoy God and follow him and enjoy all the blessing of the good things that come with obeying him that we are better. But Abraham bows down. He models to us humility before those not of the faith. So first lesson, he models humility on this. But the second main lesson, I think, is he models to us investing in our faith investing in god's promise that's what he's doing what he had 400 shekels of silver that's probably a lot of money well it's 4.6 kilograms of silver that's a lot of silver he could have spent it on other things i don't know what would you have spent it on better sheepskins better wine goblets better camels camel futures they were looking up I, i hear they're a bit up and down never mind Well, all the things that Abraham could have bought with his 400 shekels, what does he buy? He buys a graveyard. Why? That is odd, isn't it? Because he knew God's promise was a sure thing, more than anything else in all creation. You and I can invest in all sorts of things. I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about time and energy or emotions our joys. But we must learn that anything we buy into with any of our resources, whatever we have, in any way, shape, or form, anything we invest in will not last except what God has promised. His promise to us is for a better world, a new creation, a place where all our heart's desires will be fulfilled, a place where God himself will be with us face to face. And the problems you and I have is often based on the fact that we take our eyes off what God has promised and we settle for far too little. Let's just uh, turn as we close to uh, Hebrews 11, page 1209, if you've got it, in a Bible. Page 1209 is Hebrews 11. And let us finish looking at Abraham's life by seeing what uh, the author or the preacher, it could have been a sermon, Hebrews Refers to the Old Testament an awful lot. Hebrews chapter 11, and a well known passage that lists off a lot of Old Testament believers. We're going to pick it up in verse 13, page 1 Let me read these words for us. We're going to go over the page. So there's a list, a long list of people here, and you can see there, verse 8, if you've got it, you can see Abraham's mentioned by faith, Abraham. And so it goes on. He does all the things that we've been reading in the story. But the writer sums it up, verse 13, like this. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Sound familiar? Verse 14. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, think of Abraham there, they would have had opportunity to return. Verse 16, instead, they were longing for a better, over the page, a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. You see what Abraham teaches us? He knows his home is not where he came from. His home is where God is taking him to be forever. Remember Jesus, John 14, he has prepared a place for us. Friends, we need to invest all that we have, whatever we've got, money, energy, time, in prayer, in helping, in serving, in building, and living for what Jesus has promised. Because that is where our true home is, isn't it? That is where you and I belong. You go through life and you feel, it's good, but it could be a bit better. That is because we're not yet home. Home is where the heart is. Let our hearts be fixed on Jesus Christ. It is where Jesus wants us to be. So let's be humble in this life. It doesn't belong to us. And let us invest in what God has promised. Let's pray. Father God, we pray that you'd help us to have faith like Abraham's. Faith that sees your promises being far greater than whatever the rest of the world tells us to look to. Help us to set our hearts on things above, as Paul later tells us. To build on the rock that is Jesus Christ, not on the sand that is this world. Help us to have strength of faith that we will indeed invest in that eternal future that is sure and certain.